From Capitol Hill, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Hello, and we are here on Capitol Hill. Uh, This is, of course, the second part of our two-part series looking at what's going to happen when Congress gets back from its August recess. And guess what? They are back. Uh, The senators are here today. And we are here with Bloomberg Tax reporters Chris Chaffee and Samantha Handler to talk about what Congress is going to be up to for the rest of this year. Now, uh, Chris, let's start with you. There are some tax breaks that are uh, in effect that are ending pretty soon. Can you tell me which ones those are and when they're going to be ending? Well, a lot of it goes back to the 2017 GOP tax bill that was passed on a party line vote. There's some breaks for businesses, like ones for research and development, uh, amortization, uh, interest, uh, things like that, that are starting to be phased out or are phased out. and. Businesses, especially ones that do a lot of research and development, for instance, or other companies like that, have been pushing to have these breaks restored or extended at the end of this year, pushing towards 2025 when more pieces of the package expire. And so we're starting to see some of these breaks expire. And what's going to happen is businesses obviously want to keep those breaks intact. And so there's been a lot of lobbying efforts to make that happen. And one of the things that we're seeing is uh, lawmakers are pushing for a stopgap tax package that would kind of extend some of those things. The Republicans, and Samantha can talk a little bit more about this, uh, Republicans put out their own package earlier this year that had some of those extensions in them, along with some other things. It made it out of committee, but it hasn't made it to the floor yet. And so we're seeing what might happen in that context, whether we would actually see a House vote on that GOP package, which could kind of set up that beginning debate Um, over a bipartisan package once they pass the partisan one. But obviously, it's hit some snags. Well, uh, Samantha, let's talk about that. Um, We're, you know, we've seen a uh, House tax bill that would extend a lot of these tax breaks, but it's not coming to the floor. What's going on? Why is this bill stalled? Right. So a lot of that goes back to, like Chris said, the 2017 GOP tax bill, which passed in 2017 but without several Republicans, mostly from New York and California, because that bill instated a $10,000 cap on state and local tax deductions. Very important to the Republicans from high tax states, or blue states, if you will. That's state and local tax reductions. That's SALT. We've heard a lot about that. Um, So it sounds like the big state, you know, uh, California, New York Republicans, are not willing to move forward unless that cap is raised. Yes, that's that was what was happening before recess. Uh, to my knowledge, that's still status quo right now when House members are set to come back next week. Um, we're sure there's going to be conversations, more talks with them. Um, it's interesting because in 2017, about a dozen Republicans did vote against that bill. And now there's around the same number uh, this year that are holding up this bill. But you know, this time with the narrow House majority, they have the leverage to demand more salt in the in the bill. Mm. Uh, and that's interesting because, you know, I uh, I was always under the impression that in the House it's much easier to pass things than in the Senate. There's no filibuster in the House. Uh, but it sounds like this is the opposite, that the, the House is the one struggling to, to get things through, right? Well, it's difficult with this instance because so many Republicans do not want Uh, to raise the salt cap. You know, they see it as a giveaway to the wealthy, which is also the same reason Democrats could not 
uh, raise or eliminate the salt cap earlier when they controlled both chambers. Speaking of the Senate, uh, which is where we are, we're steps away from the Senate floor. What is the Senate doing on this? Uh, I imagine they're, you know, have very different priorities because the Senate, of course, is controlled by Democrats. What's going on in the Senate in terms of uh, a, a tax bill or extending these tax breaks? Right. So what's interesting is we're seeing the Senate take a bit of a backseat. And I think Sammy could talk a little bit or nod her head in agreement. The Senate is kind of taking a wait and see approach, I think, uh, waiting for the House to decide whether it can pass its bill, whether it's going to kind of be stymied and then would initiate bipartisan negotiations at that point. I think senators have spent a lot of time this year talking about some of their priorities. For instance, the child tax credit is something that Democrats really want to have at least some provisions included. There was in the pandemic bill in 2021, there was an enhanced child tax credit that was added to that bill for a year. It is since now uh, no longer in effect, and it's gone back to that 2017 child tax credit that was in the GOP bill. And Democrats have signaled that, yes, they're probably okay, or they at least understand that they won't be able to get that full 2021 amount, but they do still wanna get something done to kind of give a little bit more relief to parents so we're just kind of waiting to see what Republicans in the House do. And that, I think, is what a lot of folks are waiting for on the Senate side to see as kind of this opening offer. I have to imagine that this gives Democrats the advantage. I mean, they already, I guess, have an advantage in that they control the White House. So, uh, you know, President Biden has the, the power of the veto pen. But, you know, it seems like Democrats are relatively at least united in the Senate or at least have a set of priorities. Republicans in the House, however, are divided amongst themselves. I mean, would that mean that it's safe to assume that Republicans probably aren't going to get most of what they want? I think it's, it's fair to say that a lot that's in the current GOP tax bill may be non-starters with Democrats. Uh, it included a repeal of a swath of Inflation Reduction Act, um, energy credits, which Democrats have been very clear that's a total non-starter. Um, and it did not include several other bipartisan tax provisions that both parties have made clear they want in any end-of-year tax deal. So it's, it, I mean, it remains to be seen. But also, I think it's worth noting that House some House Republicans have also said they're open to something on the child tax credit. Um, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, in particular, has talked about wanting to do some work with the Problem Solvers Caucus um, to get to some solution. Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith has signaled in the past that he's open to something on the child tax credit. So there is some hope for bipartisanship there. I would also say, though, that, and I think that this is something that a lot of people, both in the Capitol and Congress watchers, if you will, there could be no deal at all. I think that that's a real reality. That, that, would, that would mean these, these tax breaks would just go away and never come back, or at least not come back anytime soon. Well, they certainly wouldn't come back this year, yeah. There would be no tax extenders package that was added to the end-of-year spending bill or some of one of these other must-pass, if you will, bills like um, the Defense Authorization Act or something like that that, would, that that lawmakers are eyeing as a potential vehicle for these breaks. And so I think that that's the big question that still needs to be answered is, do we end up getting a bipartisan bill? And I don't know if we will know that until very late in the year. Uh, we're already 
veering towards a government shutdown at the end of the month, September 30th. This is when government funding runs out. Lawmakers right now, as we've seen this morning, are running by reporters giving answers on questions about whether the government will shut down or whether we'll see a continuing resolution or what they call a CR to kind of keep the government funded and when that date would expire. Are we going to have a CR until December, November? When does that government funding have to be extended again? Or when will they have this end of the year spending bill that could have tax provisions in it? And I think that that's a question that we don't have the answer to yet. Okay, um, well, moving on to uh, international issues, uh, there's another bill that's moving through the Senate, at least, uh, that is pretty interesting. It's a Taiwan tax bill. Uh, first off, Chris, is this a uh, just a bill or is this a treaty? What is this? Um, what is this this legislation that's moving forward? Well, and that's an interesting question because it's something that even folks that I've talked to that are pretty well versed in tax still sometimes get confused about. Taiwan is not recognized as a sovereign nation because, of course, China recognize it as part of its territory. So it can't sign necessarily a treaty with the United States, a tax treaty, because it's not seen as its sovereign nation that can do those things. And so what lawmakers have sought to do, uh, they passed a bill earlier this year that improves trade relations with Taiwan, uh, that kind of modifies some things in law. And, and now what they have also done is both the House and the Senate put forth a bill. All four lawmakers who <laughs> seldom agree on many things actually did put out a joint statement that said, look, this is the Taiwan tax bill that we want to put forward. And so both the two leaders, the Republican and Democrat leaders of both the Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee were on that joint statement. And so unlike a treaty, the Senate deals with treaties exclusively. This is a law, this changes the tax code and it provides treaty-like benefits to Taiwan, but it does so through law. So both the House and the Senate would have to pass it. And so what the Senate finance leaders have said is that they plan to mark it up in September and we expect to see that mark up in the coming weeks. The main thing I wanted to ask is why are we doing this now? Because as we discussed on this very podcast, very recently, it's really hard to get a tax treaty or any kind of tax bill, whatever you want to call it, international tax bill through the Senate. And that's basically due to one senator, Rand Paul of Kentucky, who really does not like these types of bills. Um, so the fact that the Senate is moving forward on this tells me that this is a pretty high priority. What's this all about? I mean, I read you guys' article and I get the sense that chips are involved. Um, do I have that right? Is it all about the chips? Yeah, so um, cooperation with Taiwan has been a top priority for lawmakers in this Congress. The relationship with Taiwan is something that lawmakers and congressional leaders have been vocal about, especially when it comes to sort of balancing that with aggression towards China. We saw Nancy Pelosi, we've seen Kevin McCarthy, uh, Senator Todd Young. They, lots of people have gone to Taiwan this year or last year in support of the Taiwanese government and obviously especially these high-tech goods like semiconductors are something that lawmakers really want to prioritize. The Biden administration has really tried to bring some of that manufacturing back to the United States and having uh, a treaty, having the ability to avoid double taxation on businesses between Taiwan and the United States is obviously something that businesses need certainty on before they're willing to, you know, open a plant in Michigan or something. 
Finally, sticking with the uh, international trend, uh, we have the Republicans taking a trip overseas, House Republicans, to Paris and Berlin to talk about the OECD's two-pillar effort to remake the way that taxes are paid across borders. What are House Republicans doing um, in this? What are they trying to do and what's going on here? Why are they traveling to Europe? So House Republicans over the last few months have been really sounding alarm over their concerns about the global tax deal, particularly the global minimum tax, the 15% global minimum tax that over 120 countries have already agreed to and are beginning to implement. But House Republicans say, hey, we already have you know, a global tax regime in the United States. We don't like this. And that's really what they were going to the OECD to talk about is about how they're upset about this deal. Who was, who was over there? Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith went, along with a handful of other House Republicans. Uh, Ron Estes, who has been very vocal on these issues. Randy Feenstra and Cole Maliotakis, who are both new to Ways and Means. Kevin Hearn, who's been very outspoken on international tax issues, and a few others. What were they, tr- you know, trying to accomplish? Because, you know, it seems like they, they're not private citizens, I guess, but they're also not with the State Department. They can't negotiate on behalf of the United States. What were, what, what were they trying to do? Were they just trying to send a message? Well, and I think that this is something that kind of goes back to the uniqueness of the American system, right? European countries, a lot of them have parliaments. They have um, finance departments and ministers that uh, can go out and kind of negotiate some of these things uh, on behalf of their countries and come back and then the parliament. Everybody works in tandem, right? The United States, a little different. The executive is not the Congress, right? And uh, it's something that Republicans have said over and over again. It's something that they've made very clear that Republicans in the House want everyone to know that Joe Biden and his administration is not the one enacting and writing tax policy. Congress says, hey, we write taxes. We are the ones who set tax policy and enact it. And if we are not part of those negotiations and we are not on board, the U.S. will not participate. Now, you know, we've covered this uh, project from the OECD on this podcast many, many times. And one of the themes that's run through all of our coverage of that has been how fragile these negotiations are and, you know, how difficult it is getting basically almost every country in the world to sign it up for a global minimum tax. Um, I have to imagine that House Republicans sort of freelancing here and, you know, going and inserting themselves in this process are not necessarily bringing any certainty to this process. Do you think that um, these this trip could harm the overall negotiation here, or do you think that ultimately this is sort of a messaging sideshow that will really have no impact on what happens uh, at the OECD? Republicans in their last hearing with um, a Treasury official, Michael Plowgen, laid some of this out, and what members of Congress said, including Jody Arrington, who I thought said, said it pretty well, was he crystallized this idea that Treasury is moving forward without Congress, and because of these um, untaxed um, profits rules that are in this Pillar 2 deal, the United States is going to be in a situation where countries will be able to tax U.S. companies and bring them up to this global minimum tax of 15%. And that's something that doesn't sit well with a lot of Republicans. The OECD came out with guidance that put a pause on this untaxed profits rule, this UTPR, that kind of kicks it past the next presidential election um, and into 2025. 
I think it's important to emphasize, though, that Pillar 2 has been agreed to um, by the OECD and countries involved, and that other countries are, again, moving forward and, you know, enacting this 15% minimum tax. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of unclear how much more the OECD could do to pause or... So it's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of whether we're the U.S. is on board or not. Versus pillar two or pillar one, I should say, where this digital service tax agreement, where the Senate would have to ratify it. It's a treaty, and the U.S. needs to be on board for that to be effective. So that that's the other part of this. All right. Well, that was Samantha Handler and Chris Chaffee speaking to us from the bowels of the Capitol. Thank you guys so much for talking. I really appreciate it. That'll do it for today's episode of Talking Tax. It was produced by myself. Uh, our editor is Naomi Jagoda. For more coverage of this and many other issues, head to our website, news.bloombergtax.com. From the Capitol, I am David Schultz, and this was Talking Tax. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive. They can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right. This can't be fair. How can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.